Well, do please keep your Bibles open there at Matthew 19 and 20 if you have them open uh, on your lap. Let's pray as we prepare to have a look at this passage together. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us about yourself. You teach us all that we need to know for life and salvation. Help us to learn more this morning of what it means to be followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love to see leaders who are willing to serve rather than be served. Uh, We love to see that in our leaders, don't we? As human beings, uh, just about wherever you are in the world, uh, leaders are the ones who sit above us and exercise power. And to varying degrees, we, we serve and submit to them. And whether it's always true or sometimes more perceived, we feel this great imbalance Uh, and we can resent our leaders for it. So we love to see uh, those occasions when our leaders seem to step down and stand beside their people and serve rather than being served. Uh, An image of the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, has been doing the rounds of news sites and social media during the week. He's dressed in army camouflage gear uh, and, and stepping out to serve his people in the midst of this current crisis. When offered safe passage out of Ukraine, he's quoted as saying, I need ammunition, I don't need a ride. Uh, choosing to serve rather than be served, Zelensky stayed in Ukraine when other leaders might have retreated to safety. He's chosen to stay and fight for and with his people. Now, I'm not going to comment on the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's not what this sermon's about, and I'm sure it's more complex than I understand. And I'm sure Zelensky is, is still being pretty well protected and served as president, but his actions are bold and somewhat unusual. And it's what we love to see in our leaders because it is something out of the ordinary. Leaders who don't just give orders from a safe distance, but who show themselves willing to serve their people, even willing to to sacrifice, make sacrifices themselves. Achieving greatness in a worldly sense usually means you get to be served by others. It is rare to see world leaders take a place among the ordinary folk and serve rather than being served. Uh, But serving rather than being served, uh, that is the norm for those who want to meet heaven's standard of greatness. This is one of the many ways in which the kingdom of heaven overturns the norms of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27, that to become great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be a servant, even a slave to others. And Jesus epitomizes this upside-down model of greatness by serving his people and giving his life for them. Uh, Chapter 20, verses 25 to 28 again. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This mirrors what we saw last week with Jesus' example of humility, lowering himself to death, even death on a cross. It's this humility, this lowering of oneself that is necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, At the start of chapter 18, Jesus used the example of a child. We must become like 
little children, humble and lowly, vulnerable and, and trusting. Putting your faith in God alone because that's all you can do. In the middle of chapter 19, Jesus comes back to this example of children as he continues talking about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says to the disciples in chapter 19, verse 14, uh, people are bringing children to him to be blessed and the disciples are kind of telling them off. Well, Jesus says, Now let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus reminds them of the object lesson, what, what he taught them just a short while ago. We, we must become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, we're entirely dependent on God. It's about what he does for us, not about what we can do. And the last part of chapter 19 and the first part of chapter 20 highlight that. Nothing we can do will get us into heaven. Our place in heaven is dependent on forces outside our control, uh, now, that's not how greatness in the world works. That's in the world, you've got to exert or influence a power of some kind. You've got to splash around some cash or impress people with your good deeds to work your way up the ladder. You'll show people you deserve your place because of what you've done, what you bring to the table. That's just the way the world works. But it's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. The last part of chapter 19, as Jesus is talking to a rich young man, uh, the young man asks a question that uh, really gives him away from the start. He asks Jesus, have a look there in verse 16, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, from the start, uh, the very premise of the question, he assumes there's something he can do, some way he can earn eternal life in heaven. Jesus responds a bit cryptically with a question, as he often does. Verse 17 why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. There's only one who is good, Jesus says. The, the one who gave the commandments, that's God. So keep the commandments, Jesus says. He lists a number of them off and the man says, Well, yes, yes, I've done all that. What else? <laughs> and Jesus says in verse 21, If you want to be perfect... Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus is letting the man in on something he's already taught, something we've already learned in Matthew, but the man probably wasn't there at the Sermon on the Mount. Back in chapter 5, Jesus listed off a number of the commandments and showed just how hard they are to truly obey. Even being angry at someone is like murdering them. Even looking lustfully at a woman is like committing adultery. Has this man really kept all the commandments? And Jesus showed the requirements back there for entry into heaven uh, when he said at the end of chapter 5, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection is the requirement for membership in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus says to the man, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. man has to follow Jesus. Now, the good thing he must do to get eternal life is to follow Jesus. For this man, that means turning his back on his wealth, giving everything to the poor and storing his treasure in heaven. Instead, he needs to turn his back on all of that and come follow Jesus. He's asking what he must do. Well, that's what he must do. But of course, he can't. 
Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Had great wealth, but he was sad. There's a paradox for you. Because it was his wealth stopping him from receiving eternal life. His wealth was stopping him from following Jesus, and yet he couldn't give it up. In the end, uh, no one can do what we need to do to, to be perfect. No one can do for ourselves what's required to get eternal life, as the man put it. If it wasn't wealth for the young man, it would have been something else. Uh, his main problem here is not even that he's wealthy, but that he loves his wealth too much to follow Jesus. Jesus knows this man would, would have to give all that up to follow him, and Jesus knows that he can't do it. Uh, people have all, all sorts of obstacles to following Jesus, all sorts of reasons. And without God's help, without God's work in our lives, we'll never prioritise Jesus over those things, whatever they are. Uh, we'll never be able to do the thing that will earn us eternal life. We'll never meet heaven's standard of perfection, not without God's help. Jesus points this out to the disciples when the rich man leaves. Only God can bring about the change of heart required to enter heaven. Uh, verses 23 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus presents this impossible situation. I have a, uh, an image for you here. A camel going through the eye of a needle. Uh, you know, even when the needle is pictured as large as the camel, it's not to scale, but even if, if, if you drew the, the, the needle as large as the camel, you could see there's no way it's going to happen. No way. Who can bring about the change required to enter the kingdom of heaven? Who can bring us to follow Jesus and receive eternal life? Well, it's impossible for man, but it's possible for God. Peter asked that very question uh, of Jesus then. Uh, what about us? What, what about uh, those of us who, who have given up everything to follow you? What will we get? Uh, always Peter with the very brave questions and statements, brave enough to say what everyone else is thinking. And Jesus reassures Peter uh, he has had his heart changed by God. Uh, he is a follower of Jesus. He is one of the disciples. And those who do follow Jesus, and, and that's the important thing, those who follow Jesus, because only Jesus is perfect, only Jesus can do what's required for us to get to heaven. Those who follow Jesus have been enabled to do so by God and will receive their reward. Uh, see Peter's, uh, Jesus' reply to Peter from verse 28. Verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. 
Now, Jesus doesn't elaborate here on the 12 thrones and just what it means for the 12 disciples to judge the nation of Israel. Perhaps it's about ruling Israel in heaven. Perhaps it's about judging the nation of Israel for its rejection of Jesus. That's for another time. The point is, those who do follow Jesus will receive eternal life. Those who do follow Jesus will inherit eternal life. The rich man, rich young man failed to follow Jesus. He would miss out. But those who do humble themselves and follow Jesus will receive eternal life. The first will be last and the last will be first. It's the opposite of the way things work in the world. In the world, the rich, the prominent, the powerful are considered great. You get rewarded for what you give. Uh, but in the kingdom of heaven, the, the reward is a free gift. Uh, Don Carson puts it like this, those who approach God in childlike trust will be received and advanced in the kingdom beyond those who, from the world's perspective, enjoy prominence now. Uh, prominence or greatness or power being first in the world now is not what's required to be first in heaven. It's not what gets you eternal life in heaven. Eternal life is the free gift of a generous God. Uh, we rely on God and God alone for the reward of heaven. That's what the next parable illustrates from the start of chapter 20. As we uh, move into chapter 20, Jesus uh, tells this story, uh, tells this parable, which shows it's not what you do or how hard you work. It's God's grace that, that gets you into heaven. The reward is because of God's goodness, his grace, his generosity. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, the vineyard owner goes out to hire workers for his vineyard. He offers them a denarius for a day's work. That's a pretty standard day's wage for the time, apparently. Uh, then the owner goes out three times more during the day, brings in more workers into his vineyard each time. The day finally ends and the workers line up to receive their pay, starting with the workers who arrived last. Now imagine the delight for those workers when they received a denarius, a full day's pay for just a few hours' work. Further down the line it goes, and of course, well, the ones who've been there all day are seeing this, and well, they're expecting, wow, if they're getting a denarius, what's he going to pay us? This is going to be great. But no, they all get the same. And of course, there are the complaints, uh, the ones who've been there all day, they're, they're about to form a union. Now, why should they do the bulk of the work and get paid the same as the ones who only put in a few hours? That would be unfair in a work situation today. Uh, you would expect the union to get on top of something like that, send in a few rep reps to kick some heads and start an investigation into fair work practices. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's perfectly fair. Uh, the kingdom of heaven works completely differently to the world. See how the landowner, resp landowner responds to the disgruntled workers here. Uh, chapter 20 from verse 13. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. 
And no one gets paid at all without the master offering them work in the first place. (laughs) And everyone gets what they've been promised. The master simply chooses to be generous to those who come later. He really is generous to everyone. In verse 16, Jesus, he repeats that key phrase again, uh, except in the reverse order. The last will be first and the first will be last. The the reward is the same, no matter how much work you do. uh, Because when it comes to inheriting eternal life, it's not about what you do. It's not about how much work you do. It's about the generosity of the master. God's generosity is represented here by a master that's unlike any master you would expect to come across in the world. And worldly principles of merit and reward are set aside and replaced with God's grace. The reward of eternal life, entry into God's kingdom, is entirely dependent on God's grace, God's generosity, not on anything that you have done. Of course, this is incredibly counterintuitive for human beings, isn't it? We're conditioned to thinking that you get what you work for. You get nothing for nothing. Fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And this thinking can seep into church life. Churches can often work more on a, a business model. If you do a good job on committee of management, you might get promoted to session in a few years, for example. An older minister that I was uh, talking to at Presbytery last week, he said that's how it used to work in some Presbyterian churches. There was a, a ladder to climb to become an elder in the church, and if you put in the time on committee of management, you could expect one day to become an elder. <laughs> that's just the way it happened. That's a worldly approach, is it not? Uh, putting in time, uh, putting in the work, biding your time. <clears throat> That's not how it's done today, thankfully, although I suppose some churches might still operate that way. I hope they don't, but they probably do. And Christians can be tempted to think this way in the church. Uh, the more you do, the better your position should be. Uh, you know, I've been around the longest, so I should get to call the shots. I put in the hard yards after all. Maybe this thinking even seeps into our view of heaven. We start to think of our good works, our good behaviour as the thing that really pleases God. That's, that's the thing that really assures us of that place in heaven. And when we start to slip or we fail in some area, perhaps we panic. Maybe, maybe God's not, not going to be too happy with that. Maybe, maybe I'll miss out after all. Well, that would be very wrong thinking. In verses 17 to 19, Jesus goes on to give us and his disciples the true basis for salvation, the ultimate expression of God's grace and the one and only reason we can feel confident that we'll get eternal life, as the rich young man said. That is Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus tells them again that this event is coming. It's Jesus' work on the cross that will earn us eternal life. Nothing that we do. The disciples still have a bit of a hard time understanding this. And the next little episode uh, will teach them uh, more of what it means. What does it mean that the last will be first and the first will be last? What does it mean to how do we enter the kingdom of heaven and what will our position be when we get there? Well, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're the catalyst for this next conversation They're thinking in terms of privilege and status and power. They're a bit excited at Jesus' talk of of the Son of Man returning in glory, perhaps. Maybe maybe that's still stuck in their head and 
Wow, the 12 disciples sitting on the 12 thrones judging Israel. That's us. Well, well, we want to be on the thrones closest to Jesus. And in a strange display of childishness, not the childlikeness that Jesus has talked about, but childishness, they go and have a word to their mum and got her to ask Jesus if they can sit at Jesus' right and left in heaven. Uh, I just think they must have looked back on this later and been so embarrassed. Jesus reminds them in no uncertain terms of what it means to follow them. Him. Uh, he's already described to them the suffering he will face. He's already said to them that if they want to be his disciples, they've got to be prepared to face the same kinds of suffering. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you want a position of privilege and to share in my glory, remember my path to glory is through the cross. To ask to reign with Jesus is to ask to suffer with him. Jesus asks James and John if they can accept this. And they say they can. And he says, good, because they will share in his sufferings. But the privilege they're asking for is not for him to decide. God the Father has already decided that. The disciples need to be happy not to care about things like that. They need to be happy not to care about position and and, and privilege and status That's the way the world thinks. That's got nothing to do with what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, to be a member of his kingdom. Uh, And all the disciples have to learn that lesson. The rest of the disciples are indignant when they hear what James and John have been asking about, probably jealous that they might miss out. Actually, I I think I deserve what James and John ought to be on Jesus' right and left. I should be there. They're all vying for the top spots in the kingdom. And so Jesus teaches Uh, He teaches them in the words that we we read at the start, verses 25 to 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness comes by serving, not by being served. Uh, Jesus, he's not necessarily denigrating the way authority works in the world. Uh, He's just describing it. And he's saying it's the opposite in heaven. Don't let the worldly mindset control how you think of heaven. The king of heaven is a servant. King Jesus served his people in the, the greatest possible way, delivering forgiveness for sin and the promise of eternal life in heaven by his death on the cross, by paying the penalty for sin on our behalf and by his rising to life again. We love to see our leaders being willing to to be humble and serve rather than be served. We love seeing that. It's one of the things that Volodymyr Zelensky has been noticed for this week. Uh, We we recognise that there there is something of greatness in that attitude from leaders, even if it's not the world's normal definition of greatness. And what Jesus is continually drawing attention to now is his impending service of his people. As he draws closer to the cross and prepares to exemplify greatness in kingdom of heaven terms, he invites his disciples to see exactly what this means. He invites them to see what it means for them. They are to rely completely and utterly on God for salvation, 
no working your way to the top like you do in the world. And as people who have been graciously saved and included in the kingdom, well, their attitude ought to be one of humility and service towards others. For them and and for us as as disciples of Jesus today, uh, this is the attitude that should mark us out as people who follow Jesus, the one who came to serve and save us. Let's praise and thank God for this wonderful truth. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you again for your love and your mercy. We praise you for your grace to us, the gift of forgiveness that we receive through faith in Jesus, that his sacrifice on our behalf, his dying and paying the penalty for our sin, and his rising to life again, that this gives us forgiveness for sin and the the wonderful promise of eternal life in heaven. We praise you for this, Lord. We pray that we would be a people uh, who do follow Jesus with this attitude, who seek to imitate our Lord and Saviour in the way that we live and, and serve in this world. Help us not to be people who jockey for position or seek privilege or status. Help us not to import worldly ideas into our life as citizens of heaven, but instead help us to live lives which imitate Christ our Saviour and point to him as the one who has done all that's necessary to provide salvation for his people. We pray these things, Lord. For your glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.